Thank you for listening to this chapel message, originally presented at Clark Summit University in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. With more than 70 on-campus and online programs, Clark Summit University prepares Christ-centered, career-ready graduates to make a difference around the world. We hope this is an encouragement to you today. It's our special guest, uh, our special privilege today to welcome our guest, uh, Dr. Kevin Gillen. I met him a few years ago through a mutual friend in the New York City area, and it's great to have him here. Uh, He used to be, before he was a full-time pastor, a lieutenant in the fire department there in New Rochelle, uh, which is just north of the city. He also serves as the uh, Westchester County uh, Director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, ministering to college athletes and pros. In addition to being the pastor at Ridgeway Church there in White Plains, New York, which is just about two hours east of here, he is also the chaplain for the NYCFC uh, soccer team in New York City, who incidentally won the championship last year and uh, just started their season. So he's going to share a little bit about the, his chaplaincy ministry, but really then bring us a message from God's Word. But it's an honor to have Dr. Kevin Gillen here today, and let's uh, give him a CSU welcome. So thanks for coming, Kevin. It's actually my honor to be here. Uh, as you can hear, uh, I wear a lot of hats. Maybe that's why I have so little hair. Um, but yeah, I do have the privilege of serving uh, the NYC chaplaincy. It's been a great thing. But first, I want to I let you all know that I, I did not come to Christ early in life. I came to Christ in my 30s. I didn't have the privilege of, of knowing Jesus when I was your age. And, um, and, and, you know, sometimes God takes the long way, you know. Sometimes we take the long way. So um, God, you know, redeemed that time and, and, uh, and brought me to know him in, in faith. And so I've, I've had a, a career in the fire department and a career in ministry. And sports has always been uh, very near and dear to my heart. I have um, a bunch of my kids are, are athletes as well. So it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to serve in any way I can serve. Uh, it's an honor to give a message to, to young people, uh, a message that I wish I would have heard uh, when I was your age. Uh, serving in the NYCFC, a lot of these guys are young. Uh, 29 is old uh, for an NYCFC guy. Uh, this is going to be my fourth season with the team. Amazing, amazing bunch of men. We've got about 10 to 12 that come into the, to the, to the Bible study each week. I have a partner that does that. I get the privilege of going down to Yankee Stadium and doing their pregame chapel. Uh, and then I stay there on the field in case somebody gets hurt uh, because they're, they're very superstitious athletes. I don't know if you know that. Um, and our chapels are more like a pep talk. Uh, I was a firefighter in my past life. I, 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 I love American football, so this, this other football is, 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 is weird to me. I, I, I got to enjoy it as I saw the skill. And so our chapels are more like a halftime locker room football pep talk for Jesus, you know, um, and then the guys are, are like that as well. They, they, they go out there and tear it up for the Lord, uh, and, and they have adrenaline running. They, the, they, they, they try to harness that power, that, that, that enthusiasm uh, in, in ways that come, come out in an excellent sportsmanship way, but sometimes they could be aggressive, and sometimes they, could, they can make mistakes. And, and balancing sportsmanship and aggression as a Christian athlete can be difficult. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more, more about that in a few moments. Right now I want to give you a message from the Beatitudes. 
And I'm, I'm going to tell you that probably what you hear uh, might be new uh, to you. Uh, the, the Beatitudes are really all connected. They're, they're, they're not supposed to be uh, isolated. Each one uh, fits into the next one. They're like rungs on a ladder or, or a staircase, if you will. Um, the Beatitudes are the preamble, you know, uh, to the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Constitution. And there are blessings contained in the Beatitudes that are for us. Um, and, so, and so we're going to look at a few of them. We're going to land on one in particular. It starts off with, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who rely on the Lord for everything because the Lord provides all of their needs, all, of, all, that, he, all that they need according to God's great, great riches. Because as daughters and sons of the King, we are ever in His sight, ever in His heart, and we are blessed. So blessed are the poor, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are not blessed are those who in their hearts, they do not need God. You, you might be here today, you grew up in a Christian home, you, you may think you don't need God. Um, l- l- let me tell you, don't, don't let life teach you that you need God. Let, let the Spirit of God teach you that right now. Because we can become self-righteous, we can become proud, we can become arrogant. And we can feel no unworthiness because we, we look at the way the world is and we think we're not that bad. But the truth is, God's barometer is very high. And for those that know they need God, theirs is the blessed life. They will have peace. They will have joy because, because they are in a relationship with God. goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn are those who grieve over their sins and the sins of others. Those who cannot hear about a need without their hearts opening up. Who are able to feel the pain of those around them that are suffering. Those who are not blessed are those who are too concerned with themselves to think of others. They want to be the first one out of the dangerous situation, the first one delivered. They're going to get theirs and they don't worry if others don't get theirs. They, they, they do not grieve over their sins and actually they tend to be judgmental about how other people live their lives. Very little will get through to their hearts because of the callousness so they, they do not mourn. Instead, they complain. They whine. And they're characterized by selfishness and indifference. They're not living the blessed life. God wants us to live the best li- blessed life, which is the best life. It's the only life. And the Beatitudes describe that. The blessed life is the one lived on cr- kingdom principles. Principles demonstrated by our King, our Lord Jesus. And he continues with this next... Uh, Beatitude is where we're going to land. Jesus said this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now the word meek is a very difficult word. I believe it's been mistranslated for far too long. Meekness has been described as, at best with words like humility and selflessness, and at worst with words like weakness. Now, while humility and selflessness underscore godly virtue, they're included in the character traits of those who are meek. Meekness is not weakness. If, if, if you get anything else out of today, I want you to get this. Meekness is not weakness. I love what A.W. Tozer said in The Pursuit of God. He said this, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson. But he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. 
He knows he is as weak and helpless as God has declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is, in the sight of God, more important than the angels. He knows well that the world will never see him as God sees him, and he has stopped caring. This is the idea of being meek. Meekness for a child of God means accepting uncomplainingly what comes, knowing that it comes from the hand of God who orders all things. What God sends we accept in faith, even if it hurts, knowing that it's for ours or others' good. Those who are meek are prepared to forego their rights in this world, even if that's what God requires them to do. The meek are those who humbly seek God and are neither too bold or too timid. The meek have heartily accepted the necessity to be forgiven. Meekness describes humanity's only response towards God and translate in the proper response towards people. Blessed is the man, I can translate, who has the humility to know his own ignorance, his own weakness, his own need, who sees himself in the right place before God. But there's more. The Greek word for meek, actually, it's the regular word to describe a wild and powerful animal that has been harnessed, a will that has been trained to obey. So we could translate it as, blessed is the one who has every instinct, every impulse, every passion under control. Blessed is the one who is entirely self-controlled, or better, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Blessed is the one in whom God's power has been invested and will be magnified for God's glory. Aristotle had a great deal to say about the quality of meekness. He said this, he defined every virtue as the mean between two extremes. There are extremes on both sides. In between, there's the virtue. So Aristotle defined meekness in terms of anger. On one hand, there is excessive anger, which is bad, because it hurts. And then there is total indifference, which is also bad because it offers no help. In the middle is meekness. And so if we take this approach, we say, blessed is the one who is always angry at the right time and in the right way. Centuries later, Augustine said the same thing. He said meekness was rightly harnessing the emotional anger and controlling it with humility, doing it right, and sometimes doing harder things of the world. So I want to speak a little bit about anger. Um, much, you know, minds much greater than mine have used anger to help Uh, us hone in on a proper understanding of meekness. Anger is an emotion. It's an important emotion. It's a good emotion. Jesus got angry and did not sin, right? In fact, some would say that if he wasn't angry by those angering things, it could have been sinful. There's a story in Mark chapter 3 where where Jesus is, is confronted by the hypocritical Pharisees, and it says this, Jesus looked around at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus showed anger again when the disciples tried to send away the mothers and the children that were looking to be blessed. He was indignant and distressed at the way the disciples were thwarting his loving purposes. He showed anger when he drove out the money changers from those who were buying and selling in the temple. You know, God's house of prayer was being used uh, as, as a den of thieves, Jesus said, and, and, and God was not glorified. So, so Jesus got angry. B.B. Warfield wrote that a man who cannot be angry cannot be merciful. 
A man who cannot, or a woman who cannot be angry cannot be merciful. It's because they're living disconnected emotionally to be angered by evil. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in, in, in Ephesians 4, In your anger do not sin. In fact, it's a passive imperative for those of you taking Greek. It's an actual command. Paul is saying, be angry, but don't sin in that anger. And, and there's a reason for this. Because as Christians, let me say what is not popular. We're supposed to be angered by the world. If we're not angered by the world, then we're disconnected from the world and the heart of God. So the Christians should be angry that millions of people die each year of starvation and diseases that we could easily prevent. The Christians should be angry at the greed and immorality of many of the rich who continue to build their fortunes on the back of the poor and helpless. The Christians should be angry that, that over a million children are aborted each year in this country alone. The Christians should be angry that thousands of women are abandoned by males to raise children on their own. And I call them males because if they were men, they would take care of their responsibilities. The Christians should be angered at what is happening in Ukraine right now. That innocent people are being attacked, dying. As a person familiar with addiction, I'm angry. I'm angry that gambling is not only legal, but it's ubiquity being promoted. You know, uh, and you could just you could just get on your phone and be gambling all day long. I'm angry that 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 things that are shameful in the Bible are celebrated in our society. Whether it's gambling or drug use or trying to legalize prostitution. The Christian should be angry at the state of the world. And if we're not angered by what is happening in the world, something is wrong with our soul. And we can go on and on, but the point is that being angry at the right things is not only healthy, you'll hear that in counseling, but anger can be godly. Anger can be godly. Very often, anger is not godly. So I am one that, um, you're probably shocked by this, but I, I've had anger issues in the past. Uh, in fact, uh, this Christmas, I got a book from one of my children that has anger management skills for children. And... Um, they're pretty awesome activities, actually. Uh, <laughs> one of my daughters was very happy watching me open that up. Uh, but the truth is that, that, that anger is something that we all deal with. And, and, and the Bible is telling us that we should not suppress it, but we should allow it to, to, to help us to do what God has called us to do. Right? It, it, it was the church fathers, the reformers, the abolitionists, the human rights advocates. They are the ones, the anger at the state of the world gave them the power, gave them the impetus to bring change. It's because Christians were angry that finally slavery was abolished in our country. It's because Christians were angry that women were finally given the right to vote. It's because Christians were angry that segregation was eliminated. Sometimes it takes anger in a godly way to bring change. As Christians, we should be angered by laws that hurt the poor and the vulnerable. 
Because that's exactly how God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament described the wickedness of the world, the injustice that is there. And I say this, we have global, national, local issues. And if they do not stir a righteous indignation in our hearts, then something is wrong with us. But the trick is to be angry and not sin. That's why I got the workbook for Christmas, right? How do you do that? The trick is to be angry and not sin. Every single virtue, every single characteristic in the Bible if, that we possess, if it's of God, it'll be founded on humility. And humility is not quiet submission and it's not a passive lifestyle. So I would say that meekness is the virtue of being angry at the right time and responding with godly character. Anger in a person who is harnessed by the Holy Spirit, that is what becomes meekness. Meekness is anger by the Spirit of God. To be meek is to be like Christ who was strong and powerful. The problem is that we have this virtue called meekness and it's been translated or or painted a picture of submissiveness, right? Uh, But the idea could not be more inaccurate. We have this song, a gentle Jesus Meek and mild, look upon a lovely child. The song is beautiful for children, but if it teaches you that meekness is mild, it's wrong. You know, I did not come to a weak Jesus. I did not come to Christ to be a doormat. I've not been called to be that. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, it is pure strength. It is pure power. It is anger at the right things, but under control. It's not mild. It's also not necessarily nice. We don't need any more nice Christians. Right? There are too many mild and nice Christian men out there who demonstrate everything that is unattractive about the faith. Now, being a firefighter for 22 years, being a, playing aggressive sports, I, I, didn't, I wanted nothing to do with Christianity because in my mind, it was I have to be weak, I have to keep my hands down, I have to do what people say and obey all these rules. I didn't want that. And I'm sure if you're here, especially if, if you're involved in any kind of athletics, you don't want that either, Right? There are too many mild uh, Christians and nice Christians that do not want to disturb things. They want to be polite. They don't want to offend people. Let me tell you something. Jesus offended people. The gospel is going to be an offense to the world around us. Get ready for it. The meek Christian stands. Yeah. I mean... Young ladies, how many of you have dreamed, I can't wait, I just want to marry a nice guy? Who wants a nice guy? <laughs> right? I don't, I don't think so. I, I, th- I think, I think um, you know, nice guys don't slay dragons. Nice guys uh, don't, 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 don't rescue the princess, if we're looking at fairy tales, right? Warriors do. I believe that God has called us women and men to be warriors for the gospel, right? World changers. What world changer was a nice guy, right? If Jesus was only a nice guy, he would have never went to the cross. 
He wouldn't offended anyone. He wouldn't have disturbed it. He would have been very, very nice. He would have backed off. No, he offended masses. He upset everyone from kings to, to, to the royalty to the, to the priesthood. And he calls us to be like him. Jesus is gentle, yes, and he's kind. He's loving and he's compassionate. He's forgiving and he's patient, but he's not nice. Just ask the Pharisees. He has power and strength that he will use, but he will always use it under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what meekness is. And that's what we are called to be. Politicians are nice. People pleasers are nice. We have not been called to be nice. We have been called to be like Christ. He was the warrior who defends the innocent and punishes the guilty. He is the powerful one who cast out demons and took on the power of hell face to face. He is the one that was so angry at the power of sin in the world that he withstood the cross because of his great strength under control. Listen how Paul describes what we are to be. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Loving power under the control of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of self-discipline. And that's what it means to be meek. Being meek is in line with being angry over injustice, over things that are inflicted upon the vulnerable and doing something about it in Jesus' name. So as I apply this to the guys that I I get the opportunity to work with, um, these young men that are playing uh, soccer, they're terrific athletes. And they play with amazing skill. They, they, they catch better with their feet than I can catch with my hands, right? It's pretty amazing. They have incredible endurance. In fact, uh, they run a total, it's between three and six miles in one match. You put that in perspective, a, a, an NFL wide receiver may run a mile and a half in a game. So we're talking about the elite athletes who want to win. Very competitive, right? You know, one year you are the the, the star, the next year you are on the bench. It's happened so many times in every sport. So they have to be aggressive. They have to be strong. They have to be disciplined. They want to win. They have to win. And then it's a short time period because being 29, like I said, is old. So there are emotions and there are chemicals like adrenaline flowing in these guys and they can get heated up when they're on the field. You've seen it. And there are players who, who have, have, have ministered to have gotten yellow cards or red cards. A yellow card, I had to find out what this was. Yellow card was doing an over and aggressive act. You know, accidentally maybe hurting somebody and then you get a yellow card. And then if you get another one of those acts, you get a red card. Or if you blatantly hurt somebody, you get a red card. I would have a whole lot of red cards if I was playing soccer. No doubt about it, right? But, but, the, but the guys in the chapel would feel bad about getting a red card, feel bad about even getting a yellow card. And, and there have been guys that have come to me after a game that they've won, apologizing. Pastor Kevin, I'm so sorry I got a yellow card. I'm like, don't you apologize to me. You know, unless you were trying to hurt somebody on that, on the, they call it a pitch, not a field. Unless you were trying to hurt somebody on the pitch, You have nothing to apologize about. You're supposed to be aggressive, right? Be aggressive. You play like crazy until the whistle blows. And then you you could be kind, but you're, you're, you're called to be a warrior when you are playing. That is how you bring glory to God. It's that meekness that Jesus says will inherit the earth. It's the self control 
with women and men using their passions, their instincts, and their impulses under discipline. The meek will inherit the earth is how the beatitude ends. The word to inherit means to get what is rightfully yours. Psalm 37, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. So what does it mean to inherit the earth? And I'll finish with this story. Ray Ray Steadman wrote a book called Talking to My Father, and he writes about an old missionary couple that spent 40 years on the mission field in Africa. And these were in the days when people used ships to sail across the ocean. And they were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension. They had no health care. They had no home. And they were broken. They were afraid. They were defeated. And they're, they're traveling on this ship back to New York from Africa. And it just so happened that they're on the same ship that President Theodore Roosevelt was on. And he was returning from a, a big game hunting trip. No one paid attention to the missionary couple. Everyone crowded around the president. And as the ship sailed across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. We should have been, we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these years, and, and no one on this boat could care less. No one cares. Meanwhile, this president is returning from a hunting trip, and everyone is all enamored with him. And as the ship reached New York, there, there was a, a band playing, and there was a parade, and the mayor was there, and there were dignitaries, and there were signs, and the front page of all the papers had this scene and this article about the president. And that night, the, the man's spirit broke, and they settled into a one-room apartment on the east side, and he told his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. And she was wise. I don't know about you, but my wife is so much wiser than me. And this wife said, you know what, why don't you take it to the Lord? So he went out for a long walk. And he came back about an hour later, and, and he said that his, his wife said his mood was greatly changed. So she said, what happened? He said, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this great fanfare on his homecoming. Meanwhile, no one met us on our return home. And then it seemed as if the Lord put his arm on my shoulder and said, but you're not home yet. You see, the temptation is to want our inheritance now, like the prodigal son. A worldly life may entice to have fame, to have fortune, to have favor. But meekness will control those thoughts and bring us to remember that this land is not our land. It's not the promised land. This land, there's a restored land still to come. And while we are here, we would do well to remember that this is also not our home. No, our home is also yet to come. But to be meek is to not be comfortable with the state of the world, but be angered by what angers the heart of God. And maybe the powerful and strong prophetic voice of the church can bring change to our world. But while we wait until that day, while we wait for God to bring us heaven, may we bring the light of God to the earth. May we have confidence to know that there will be a day when the meek will be gathered to Him and the Master will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your inheritance.
So what message is God driving home to you today? What is the Spirit of God saying? What ways do we change our behavior? How has our faith been increased by the Bible today, by the definition of meekness? What are you going to do to be the meek woman or man that God has called you to be? What ways can you bring change to the world by allowing the power of the Spirit to harness what angers you, what hurts you in order to bring change to our world? That said, I want to spend a moment in prayer as we close. Could I ask you to stand? Don't get me angry. Get up. A lot of information to digest today, I know. Some of it may be new to you. Um, always go back and read your Bible. I don't care who's up here speaking. Go back and read the Word and see what the Holy Spirit says to you. But let me just be dead honest with you. Our world is changing. It is not going to get better. I don't care who the president is, who the king is. I don't care what policies or platforms come. This world is not our home. We are foreigners in a foreign land, right? We live here, but we're citizens of heaven. And for the world to be a place where others will come to find Jesus as Savior, the church has to be the real church. We have to live according to God's Word. We cannot be compromised in our virtue, and we cannot be passive in our communication. We're called to be women and men who are meek, but that's not weak. It's power under the control of the Spirit. It's a right use of indignation for His glory. The faith of our country, it lives or dies with the next generation. You're up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You for these students. I, I ask Your blessing to fall upon them. I pray, God, that you would allow the truth of your word to sink down deep into the soil of their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would enable them to be angered at that which angers your heart, but also to be angered and not sin, and to be world changers for you. I pray, God, that meekness would be the trait that manifests in our church, in our people, in a way that draws people to you, O oh God. I pray, Lord, that people will see in us the real Jesus, the strong, powerful, loving, and compassionate Savior that He is, who not only forgives us of our sin, but sets us on a path to bring glory to His name and bring change to our world. So for each of these students that are here today, God, I pray that you would speak to them personally, that you would remind them of, of things that might be in the recesses of their hearts, dreams and passions that they have for you, or for some that maybe they're not sure what you're calling them to do, God, that you would give them clarity, that they would be able to hear from you, and that they would have the courage to step out in faith and do what you've called them to do. God, for this world, this next generation is going to need you more than ever. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you would 
find your residence in each and every heart. That you would remove from their minds and souls that which distracts them from you. And that you would call them to live their lives in a way that bring glory to you. I ask your blessing on them in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Clark Summit University's Chapel Series. Visit www.clarksummitu.edu to learn more about CSU. Become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate through on-campus and online degree programs. Look for us on social media at Clark Summit U and share your feedback.